physicians and other emergency personnel are all used to the drills and meetings and the plans in case of emergency. But how do those plans and meetings really work in the time of actual disaster? You're listening to a special report on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures, a nonprofit that drives cures to patients through repurposing generic drugs for new uses. And with me is Christy Rollwagen, Deputy Director of Emergency Preparedness for the City of Minneapolis. Christy and I are discussing the success of the disaster planning and rescue work during the Minneapolis Bridge Collapse. Christy, welcome to Reach MD. Hello. So let's talk about how the city planned for this disaster and how it really worked. What does the planning look like for emergency preparedness for the city of Minneapolis? Well, the city of Minneapolis has been pretty proactive in the last six or seven years with their planning around emergency preparedness. It actually started before September 11th, 2001. We've basically have been a recipient over the last six or seven years of federal Homeland Security grant money and before 9-11 it was called uh, Department of Defense grant money. And with that, we've put together a comprehensive all-hazard emergency preparedness plan. We've done a lot of purchasing of critical equipment for our first responders. We have participated in the National Incident Management System, or NIMS, training across all 10 disciplines in our city. Everyone has got a base level of that training done. We've done a lot of training and exercises and participated in a program out at Mount Weather, a training facility for the federal government, and brought about 70 of our state, county, and city folks out there in early 2002 to do a week-long series of training around kind of mass casualty-type scenarios. So what we saw back on August 1st was something that we had done some preparation for, though we didn't anticipate a highway bridge falling into the river, we had done a number of planning scenarios over a catastrophic type of event. When you realized that this was a bridge disaster, what new things did you have to think about on the spot to deal with that kind of a tragedy? We had a lot of interesting dynamics involved from a jurisdictional perspective as well as all of the hazards that we faced the first four to six hours of the disaster. It was a state-owned road that fell off of city land, city Minneapolis-owned land, into a waterway that the county sheriff and the Coast Guard had jurisdiction in. So we had, right off the bat, a myriad of jurisdictions that were going to be involved in the response. We also had, that night, a number of ongoing efforts around a collapsed structure. We had a fire in one of the trucks on the bridge. We had land rescue and water rescue. We ended up transporting almost 90 people in about an hour and 53 minutes that night. We had a hazardous materials incident going on because the bridge fell on a rail car that had hazardous materials in it. And then we also had a perimeter that we had to secure from an investigative point of view. Uh, It was a crime scene at the time. And then finally, we had a severe thunderstorm come through right in the middle of our first four hours of the event. So just about everything that we could think of going wrong went wrong that night. And we had to deal on a number of fronts with a number of issues right off the bat. So let's talk a little bit about those jurisdictional issues. Do you plan for something like that where about every possible jurisdiction is involved and how that complicates things? Well, we have trained and exercised and written our plans to include our partners at the federal level, the state level, the county level, 
and then within our city across like public works and public health and our police and fire. But we didn't write one quite this complicated or train for one quite this complicated. So what happened? How did you work that out? We came together right off the bat with a unified command approach, and that unified command dealt with the lead agencies for that portion of the incident. So right off the bat, the fire department was doing rescue, and they were dealing with that fire and the hazardous materials incident. And then the law enforcement partners came in, and they secured the perimeter. We had the sheriff and his divers in the river right off the bat. We had the Coast Guard there and the Army Corps of Engineers to assist us we were right below a lock and dam is where the bridge fell. And so we had issues with controlling the water flow that night. So we came together in a unified command right off the bat. Not only that, that was at the scene. And then we partitioned off the incident by what hazard they were facing. So we appointed an incident commander to deal with, or a sector commander to deal with each segment of the disaster that was going on at the time. Down in our emergency operations center, we included right off the bat all of our state our federal and our county partners that came to our EOC so that they could be a liaison to the field and get the resources they needed to the field right away. How did the big picture end up turning out compared to what you planned for? I think overall we found that we utilized every piece of equipment we bought with federal Homeland Security money. Uh, We found that our plan tested out fairly well, and we found that overall having the relationships in place ahead of time was instrumental to the success of this and the outcome of this disaster that we've just been dealing with. And do you think having gone through this disaster now strengthens the planning for the next one? Oh, absolutely. We actually just had our hot wash yesterday morning. We talked a lot about whether or not we could do this again and have the same outcome. And, you know, was it a stroke of luck that we got through this incident as successful as we did? Or was it that we could do it again if we had to? And I think the general feeling in the room yesterday was that we have trained together, we have exercised together, we have planned together, and we have good, solid relationships across our state, federal, and county partners, and that we could do this again if we had to. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to a special report on the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, and today I'm speaking with Christy Rollwagen, Deputy Director of Emergency Preparedness for the City of Minneapolis. Talk a little bit about how the media was either helpful or a hindrance during this disaster. That was one of the lessons learned yesterday we discussed in our hot wash. Before I was involved in emergency preparedness here in the City of Minneapolis, I was actually the public information officer for the Minneapolis Fire Department, and I had a lot of opportunity in the past to work with our local media, I could not believe the instantaneous onslaught of national media that we had that night. And we not only had to deal with our local media, but we were getting national and international phone calls about what was going on. And it was real time. I spent probably the first three hours of that evening fielding phone calls from our national and our international media. That night, I ended up speaking with people in Japan and Great Britain. And I mean, I just couldn't believe the number of phone calls we were getting about this incident. And I think that's because everything is so much an instantaneous news event, you know, in the environment, you know, with CNN and all of the live feeds that they're getting. National and international media was here by five o'clock the next morning. 
and it was a continuous information flow that we had to keep providing, which we didn't anticipate the volume that we were being requested to provide. We had made a lot of plans about having a joint information center, and I think we did well with that piece where we were having a consistent message across all of our partners that participated in the event, but there was an insatiable ongoing request for information that was overwhelming at times. With that said, though, we were able to provide information to the public through that mechanism. And what would you do different in the future as far as media relationships and utilizing the media? We would have been a little more adamant about us being a little more in the driver's seat about the type of information flow where we would have set more concrete times for briefings right out of the gate. We were doing that the next day. We were having set briefing times for the media, and then that way we can control the information flow um, that we were sending out. In the beginning, we were just fielding phone calls, and you know, I don't know if we could do it any different because of the instantaneousness of the need for that information to get out. It was very time consuming. It would be probably finding more people to handle that piece would have been much more helpful for us. Is there anything that the media did that was especially helpful to this or especially hurtful to the rescue mission? I can think of how they were somewhat a pain. <laughs> and I wouldn't say hurtful. It was more of inconvenient. We had set aside a briefing area and a media area, and unfortunately the national media did not like that area. So by 5 o'clock on Thursday morning, our event happened at 6 o'clock Wednesday night, they had already set up their own media area and got really plumbed into that spot because they were wiring and trucks and all that on an access ramp to the bridge. And it was very problematic for our traffic control officers. It created a gawker slowdown, and it was right on a route where we were rerouting traffic because there was no northbound access to the highway because the bridge went down over the river. So it was really an issue. And once they got camped out and settled there for all the national shows, they stayed and weren't interested in coming to the location we identified for them. And so that didn't go as well as we wish it would have gone. How they were particularly helpful, like I said before, is when we needed them to get a message out, they were able to do that. And they understood that once we put a joint information center together, that that was a place to come for the information instead of um, shopping around each organization that was involved in the disaster. So that was very helpful that we could provide a one-stop shop kind of service to the media and they could get those messages out for us. How were physicians involved in this particular disaster rescue and recovery mission? Well, in Minneapolis and St. Paul, we actually have a program called the Metropolitan Medical Response System, of which we receive federal grant money for that. It's called the MMRS program. And we've been involved with that program since about 1999. Out of that, our 26 metro area hospitals have formed a metro hospital compact, and they executed their disaster plan for the metro hospital compact, even though just a handful of the 26 hospitals received patients and victims that night they all came together, and it's essentially a mutual aid system for hospitals, and they all came together and provided backup to each other. And our EMS folks who did all the transport triage that night did an outstanding job. We have a very robust EMS system in our metro area, and that piece, you know, I believe we had upwards of 90 patients transported, and they were transported in under two hours 
which I thought was remarkable. When they got to the hospital, they put their disaster plans in place, and we had just gotten done exercising in the month of May, a week-long exercise involving our public health and hospitals and EMS. So this was, you know, fresh in their minds, and they went right into their disaster plans and really operated well. Disaster by definition is a calamitous event which needs command and control in order to be successful. I want to thank our guest, Ms. Christy Rowagan, for comparing the importance of the plan with the reality of the disaster recovery and rescue. I'm attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures, a nonprofit that drives cures to patients to repurposing generic drugs for new uses. You've been listening to a special report on the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.